0: listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Scott Barber, you're here for another episode of the, the Doctor's Lounge. We've got a great show today. We're going to talk about something that occurred last week that most people watching this show are probably aware of. I'm going to give you the full scoop from the inside. For those of you who, who don't know, a group of doctors called America's Frontline Doctors went to Washington, D.C. last week to hold a open seminar and discussion on the issues surrounding the COVID-19 outbreak and specifically the potential treatment with a medication called hydroxychloroquine. Now, we've been talking about the, the pandemic on this show for several weeks now and trying to cover all of the various aspects of it from my vantage point as the owner of an orthopedic practice with five clinics and a surgery center i've talked to you about the fact that i needed to keep myself informed with this pandemic from day one and i have been every morning i wake up and go on the cdc website to follow guidelines very closely to look at their recommendations to make sure that my clinics and my surgery center follow their recommendations to the T. I've done extra things that were not required in terms of sterilizing the clinic and other policies to make sure that we've kept everybody safe. I'm happy to report that in the entire, during the entire pandemic now, it's coming up on seven, eight months. We've been almost completely open. We've had thousands and thousands of patient interactions, um, hundreds of surgeries, and we haven't had a single incident in terms of anybody getting severely ill, and and thank God no mortalities. We have we've had people test positive, which is common uh, during this pandemic. Most of them showed no real symptoms. Those that did uh, got mildly sick. We treated with hydroxychloroquine, and thankfully. Everybody has gotten better. And I think what is important for people to understand is I believe that I have a unique perspective on this entire pandemic. And I want to share with you the things that I have observed throughout these past months. And tie it into why, when a group of doctors went to Washington, D.C., to rationally discuss a medication, hydroxychloroquine, that's been FDA-approved for 65 years and has one of the safest profiles of any medication known, uh, why did big tech feel it was necessary to censor myself and the other doctors that were there? None of us said anything objectionable. We did not report any new literature. I was not um, advocating any sort of study that I was doing, neither nor were any of the other doctors. We were simply discussing information that was readily available in medical journals and trying to call attention to it. Now, I talked to you guys about the fact that early on in the pandemic, I was aware through my social media and other other things that there was an outbreak in China and initially my concern was for having enough PP&E suture, antibiotics, things that we get from China and I was concerned about my supply chain. So I spoke to my surgery director and made sure that she got all of the supplies necessary so that if the supply chain was interrupted, we would have enough product to be able to continue treating our patients. Fortunately, that was the case. Now, Eventually, as we all know, the virus escaped China and spread to the rest of the world. And the information that we were getting during that time, as I reflect on it, was somewhat curious. I remember early on, Anthony Fauci and others were telling us that there was nothing to be concerned about here. The World Health Organization reported On February 15th or February 14th, um, there was no sign of human-to-human transmission of this virus. Early on, it was reported that it was a novel coronavirus. I always thought it was interesting. Whenever you look at the media reports, it's always emphasized that it's the novel coronavirus. And as I look back on it, I feel the reason they did that is it's scary. The novel, the new, something we've never seen before. It's easy to get people panicked about it. In the end, it's a coronavirus in the family of coronaviruses, and it's a new virus, just in the sense that every year with influenza, the influenza virus changes and it comes back the following season, it's a different influenza, and oftentimes it's one we haven't seen before. Well, the same thing happened with SARS-CoV-2, which we all know of uh, today as COVID-19. Now, Early on in the disease, as a physician wanting to protect my patients, when the CDC and Anthony Fauci mentioned that the coronavirus did not seem to have any human-to-human transmission, I thought that was an odd thing to present to us when we know that other coronaviruses do have human-to-human transmission. And I guess my thinking was, if this is some new, strange, novel coronavirus, why would you make be making assertions? such as there's no human-to-human transfer. Um, At the time, I didn't think much of it. I just thought it was odd, and I also remember thinking to myself, it's not something I would have said. Now, eventually, President Trump, when he became aware of what was going on in China, made what I believe to be the very rational decision to stop um, travel from China to the United States. I mean... I know the country has pretty much abandoned any common sense, rational thought, but I would like you all to bear with me for this show today. I am going to try and go back to a time when people were able to openly discuss the issues of the day without being called racist or xenophobic or homophobic or anything else. I just want to give you my perspective as a physician. I'm not saying you have to agree with everything I say. I would expect you people to challenge things that I say, but let's at least talk about it so that we can improve and gain a better understanding of what's going on. So you got President Trump, who's faced with a pandemic that seems to be ravaging China. Again, I don't think many of us trusted all of the information coming from China. I know I didn't. Uh, And at the time, the World Health Organization and others were trying to paint the president as a racist for this very rational decision. Now, at the time, as a physician, again, I'm trying to gather usable information that I can use to protect my patients and keep my practice open and protect my staff and, of course, myself and my family. And so I'm aware that it's a coronavirus, and we know things about the coronavirus. It's an RNA virus, it's encapsulated, it causes respiratory like illnesses. Uh, this is not unknown to the medical community. When I was in medical school 28 years ago, we studied coronavirus. The, when we have a flu season every year, we know that the flu season is made up of a bunch of different viruses. Coronavirus is one of those virus. Influenza virus, paramyxovirus, rhinovirus, and others we typically only test for influenza virus because it's the only virus for which we have a vaccine. Now, that vaccine is not usually that effective. I think in studies that I've read, it's anywhere from 6% to 40% effective at protecting us from that season's influenza. So by no means a magic bullet. But doctors are aware that When people are infected with respiratory viral illnesses, 50% of the time, it's more than one. So when you get a flu, you may have an influenza virus and a paramyxovirus, or you may have a flu virus and a rhinovirus. You may have a flu virus and a coronavirus. But again, we only checked for influenza until this year. This is the year that we started testing for coronavirus, And along the way, we've made a lot of mistakes that have me questioning our response to the pandemic, the reasons behind our lockdown and these increasing uh, mandates for wearing masks. I have questions about this. And these are some of the things that I want to talk to you about today. Now... Early on in the disease, I'm looking at data I can use to make these rational decisions. I'm looking at the data coming out of Italy. And it became apparent to me very early on that this new coronavirus, COVID-19, seemed to be primarily affecting patients in their 70s and 80s with comorbid conditions. In fact, in one paper that was reported, uh, greater than 90% of the deaths were associated with people in their 70s and 80s with comorbid conditions, at least one. And I believe the report said that 50% of these patients had uh, greater than three comorbid conditions. So affecting older, sicker people, and it seemed to be sparing younger, healthy people. And at the time, I thought, wow, this is amazing information. It's going to be really helpful at guiding our response to the pandemic. But somehow, the media never talked about it. Um, it always seemed like the presentation of what was going on was seven days a week, 24 hours a day, red, red line hysteria, we're all going to die. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not the case. We now know the agent. It's a coronavirus, which, by the way, we now know that SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, is 78% similar to SARS-CoV-1, which was the coronavirus that caused Uh, the 2003 SARS outbreak. We're going to get to the fact that Anthony Fauci actually wrote a paper in 2005 on that SARS outbreak where he called hydroxychloroquine not only the vaccine, but the cure. Yes, you heard me right. Dr. Anthony Fauci, when he was director of the NIH, produced a paper that showed that hydroxychloroquine was so effective at the treatment of sars covid one the SARS outbreak, in, I believe, is in 2003 that he referred to it. These are his words that it's not only the vaccine, it's the cure. In my opinion, there's no way that he didn't suspect that hydroxychloroquine would be effective for SARS-CoV-2. I know in my review of the literature that I've been participating in in the last seven months, that's the conclusion that I've come to. So while while we know that this pandemic is spreading, we're starting to look at the numbers the, the country is talking about this possible lockdown. And if you all remember, the purpose of the lockdown was what? Flatten the curve. We all know this phrase, right? The purpose of the lockdown was to flatten the curve. And what that meant was we wanted to stay home to hopefully suppress the rate at which the virus spread. And by the way, there's no scientific evidence that lockdowns achieve this whatsoever. But I think people were willing to do this. Um, And the idea was we don't want to overrun our hospital systems. So when the peak of the pandemic came through, we found that not only were our hospital systems not being overrun, but they were so not busy that they started laying off employees. Smaller rural hospitals actually went out of business and no longer exist. Um, And we realized that that even in the uh, most um highly hit places new york and places like that there was never a curve to flatten i mean the president set sent the hospital ship up to new york it was virtually unused they set up a field hospital in central park in new york virtually unused so this this um Run this this thing that we were worried about with this overrunning of our medical faci- facilities with massive numbers of patients that were infected infected with covid nineteen it never materialized so again, I thought that was very important information, but the media never uh, never reported it to us that way so now i 'm getting to the point where i 'm really having trouble following the data because i don 't understand why they 're reporting the data in such an obtuse way. Why, when we were getting this good news, and by the way, a virus that's affecting older, sicker people, which we now know primarily were in nursing homes, and that seems to have a treatment that's emerging hydroxychloroquine. I thought this was great news. And to this day, I don't understand why we haven't been promoting hydroxychloroquine and a way to responsibly manage this pandemic. We're going to get back to more of it when we come back from this break. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us Every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Scott Barber. We're talking about the coronavirus outbreak. We're going to talk about the D.C. Summit, where doctors last week went to Washington, D.C., to talk about the circumstances surrounding the COVID outbreak and the treatment with hydroxychloroquine that was banned by big tech almost as soon as it got started. And we're going to uh, explore some of the reasons why that happened. So we were talking about the origins of the outbreak and how the media was ignoring important facts like the disease. COVID-19 seemed to be primarily affecting older patients in their 70s and 80s with comorbid conditions, that younger people were 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 seemed to be spared uh, by this disease, And the emerging information that hydroxychloroquine was an effective treatment for the treatment of COVID. Now, we talked about the fact that Anthony Fauci, when he was director of the NIH, published a paper in 2005 where he looked at the effect of hydroxychloroquine on the treatment of the SARS-CoV-1, which was the coronavirus responsible for the SARS outbreak in 2003. In Fauci's paper, he referred to hydroxychloroquine as not only the vaccine, but the cure. So why, if he had this information, why was he not talking about it in relation to SARS-CoV-2? Now, by this time, um, I started researching available treatments and also... you, You folks are aware I'm on a lot of text chains and email chains of doctors from around the country and around the world where we discuss issues of the day and we share information. It's a really great way for doctors to sort of keep updated on what other experiences are. It helps us treat our patients. And early on, people who were in the field treating covid Covid nineteen, we're saying if you treat the disease early with zinc with low dose hydroxychloroquine that they're seeing miraculous recovery rates. We've seen reports and studies out of France from Dr. Didier Raoult. I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong. He's one of the foremost world's leading epidemiologists. He has a lot of great research on hydroxychloroquine and specifically hydroxychloroquine on COVID-19. Dr. Zelenko out of New York was reporting uh, upwards of uh, 90% uh, uh, and five-fold decrease in mortality with the use of early hydroxychloroquine. And there's uh, recently the Henry Ford study, which also shows low-dose hydroxychloroquine early in treatment before patients get very sick Uh, in combination with zinc can be effective uh, significantly at decreasing mortality. So at a time when the media is telling me we don't have enough information, we need to do more studies to evaluate hydroxychloroquine, I'm thinking to myself, why do they keep saying that when I'm reading all of this research, suggesting two things. Number one, hydroxychloroquine and zinc, given early, seems to be effective, significantly effective at reducing mortality with COVID-19. And number two, hydroxychloroquine is one of the safest medications out there. This was odd to me. Now, for those of you who don't understand what FDA approval is, the um, the FDA Uh, which uh, I'm looking for the act here the FDA in 1938 had an act where basically they stated that um, the FDA has power to regulate the promotion of drugs and that they have the ability to limit the promotion of drugs off label so for those of you who are not familiar with medicine, doctors use FDA-approved medications off-label all the time. Upwards of 40% of all prescriptions are off-label, meaning we're using it for something different than what it was FDA-approved for. And according to the law, a doctor is allowed to prescribe an FDA-approved medication regardless of the indication. That's up to the doctor and patient. And the only things that the doctor is required to do is to prescribe the medication within the dose That it's FDA approved for, for the duration that it's FDA approved for, and for the interval that the medication is FDA approved for. So hydroxychloroquine has been FDA approved for 65 years, has one of the safest profiles out there. There was never a time when they had the power to prevent doctors from prescribing that medication. But unfortunately, we see that that's still occurring as we speak. Doctors in certain states are not allowed to prescribe this very safe medicine that has a lot of literature to support its efficacy. And let's talk about why that would be. Now, at the time when the information was starting to spread through the medical community, and I know this because I was a doctor treating patients in the middle of this outbreak, so I was following the data very closely. I was Obviously, acquainting myself with coronavirus, I was reacquainting myself with the potential treatments. Now, hydroxychloroquine uh, has another name, Plaquenil. It's a very common medication. I see it in a lot of my patients in orthopedics because orthopedic surgeons uh, take a lot of uh, take care of a lot of patients with rheumatoid arthritis, lupus disease. People are also aware of that hydroxychloroquine is commonly prescribed as prophylaxis for malaria. In fact, Mark Levin, radio talk show host, had obtained a picture of a bottle of hydroxychloroquine that belonged to former President Barack Obama from 2008. It's a safe medication. Doctors who are able to read literature and even lay people who are able to read the literature can see for themselves, this medication is absolutely safe. So why, why was there this concerted effort by Dr. Fauci and others to downplay the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine, this coy sort of, well, we need to wait for more research when you have this medication that is so safe and has got enough information, I believe to say, let's try it. You got this potentially deadly disease out there. You got this medication that's as safe as a multivitamin. It's certainly safer than Tylenol or other over the counter medications that we know. And yet they're preventing us from widespread usage. And I'm asking myself, why is this happening? This is not making sense to me. This is not normal behavior from rational doctors. Now, the. The a study came out that was a retrospective review of VA patients that suggested that hydroxychloroquine was not only ineffective at treating SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, but that it was killing people. And it took me about two minutes to read that study and realize they were using toxic doses of hydroxychloroquine in late-stage disease and older vets with a ton of comorbid conditions and no zinc. I mean, it was so ridiculous and flawed that it was a poor study and it was quickly discredited and it didn't really gain any traction then suddenly the lancet in new england journal of medicines the number one and two medical journals on the face of the earth came out with studies that were huge studies i mean i believe the new england journal of medicine was six continents and uh, f- 500, almost 600 different hospitals and tens of thousands of patients. And the Lancet was, uh, you know, 197 hospitals, I believe, over three continents, another thousands of patients. And it said that the, the conclusions of these studies in the number one and two medical journals on planet Earth. I mean, you have to understand when something is in the Lancet, it's like it's in the Bible, That's what medical professionals trust and use to be rigorous peer-reviewed data, stuff that we can take to the bank. We know that those journals are very – you can't do a weak study. It has to be a very well-thought-out, well-put-together study with as limited bias as possible to even be considered for one of those journals. For anybody who's published scientific – scientific. Uh, Papers I have, it is very, very difficult, very rigorous, very time consuming. And so we have the number one in two medical journals on the planet telling us that hydroxychloroquine is not only ineffective at treating COVID 19, but that it's dangerous in killing patients. Specifically, the New England Journal of Medicine tried to show that the medicine was specifically cardiotoxic, meaning patients were having heart issues. And I thought to myself, this flies in the face of everything that I've read. And again, why this medication? 65 years, FDA approved. Billions of prescriptions over 65 years, taken safely. A review of the literature demonstrated that in the whole history of hydroxychloroquine prescription, sixty-five years of FDA approval, fifty patients were attributed to dying from cardiac issues. Fifty out of billions and billions of scripts written over time. None of those fifty had were, were prescribed hydroxychloroquine at the low doses that we would use to treat COVID. They were they, these patients had much higher doses and other issues. So. You have this New England Journal of Medicine article that's coming out saying it's cardiotoxic and we we should be afraid of it when the prior research showed 50 total cases in the whole history. This made me believe something is wrong. Even when those two articles came out in the New England Journal of Medicine in late May and in early June, The Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, the two most respected medical journals on the face of the earth, what medical professionals consider to be the Bible, I knew. I already knew something is rotten. This is not right. I knew that it wasn't true. And based on those two studies, what happened? Well, immediately the FDA, the World Health Organization, and the CDC banned hydroxychloroquine saying that it was dangerous. So they effectively took it out of the hands of doctors uh, and and made our ability to prescribe this FDA-approved medicine impossible in some states. Governors were banning the use and actually threatening doctors' licenses and pharmacists' licenses from prescribing hydroxychloroquine. Again, a 65-year medication, FDA-approved with one of the safest profiles ever. And their predicate was the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet, saying that was dangerous. And I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. This... This is unbelievable. This is unprecedented. So I was, still not con- I was still not convinced by these New England Journal of Medicine and Lancet reports. In fact, I believed them to be corrupt because as I started to read the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet, it became obvious to me that compilation of that level of data from all these different countries Um, and overcoming HIPAA compliance and all kinds of things like that, it just didn't pass the smell test for me. I can't believe it would have gotten past the smell test for, for the peer reviewers at the New England Journal of Medicine and The Lancet. And so what happened after the WHO, the CDC, and the FDA banned its use for doctors and suspended any trials and studies on hydroxychloroquine? Those studies were retracted. Two weeks after they were published, both the Lancet and New England Journal of Medicine studies were retracted, and we'll talk about what happened when we come back. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Scott Barber. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the Americas Broadcast dot com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the doctor's lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. We've been talking about the D.C. summit of doctors that went to Washington, D.C. last week to discuss the circumstances surrounding COVID-19 and hydroxychloroquine and why big tech chose to ban our our appearance, our videos, and all of our data, uh, because they didn't agree with what we were talking about. I'm going to get to the reasoning behind it. Now, we were talking about the fact that as doctors were starting to research COVID-19, as reports were coming in from the field that hydroxychloroquine was effective at the treatment of people with COVID-19 infection, if given early in the disease, at low dose, uh, in combination with zinc, the... CDC, the World Health Organization, and the FDA banned the use of hydroxychloroquine based on studies in the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet. These studies, two weeks after publication, were retracted when doctors, myself and others were reviewing the literature and the, lit- the information seemed too implausible to be believed and people demanded... To review the data that was produced by a company called Surgisphere. So, a little background on the hydroxychloroquine. On the day that President Trump suggested that hydroxychloroquine could be effective in the treatment of COVID 19, a report, a statement, by the way, which is true. Uh, The stock of a company called Gilead dropped by $21 billion. Yes, that's right, $21 billion. Now, the reason for that is that Gilead produces a drug called Rendesmavir. Now, Rendesmavir is designed to treat or they want to use it to treat COVID-19. The research on COVID, I mean, on Rendesmavir is basically that it decreases hospital stays by a few days. It has absolutely no effect on mortality, and it's got very limited research to support its efficacy in the treatment of COVID-19. It certainly has far less compelling data than hydroxychloroquine does. Now, for those of you who don't know, remdesivir has already been purchased by the U.S. government, and the last time I checked, its available stores were, were gone. So you got this medication that has dubious research at best, suggesting a decrease in hospital stay, no effect on mortality, and the U.S. government finds that worthy of purchasing. But hydroxychloroquine, a medication, 65 years, FDA approval with one of the safest profiles of any medication ever, that's been prescribed in billions and billions of doses that people take for prophylaxis from malaria, lupus and rheumatoid patients take all the time, that we have just volumes and decades of information about its safety and efficacy, that these so-called cardiac issues, these heart issues that are supposedly side effects of hydroxychloroquine turned out to be false, false, that's hoax data. These, the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet, they had to retract the stories because there was no data. It was completely fabricated. Now let's think about that for a minute. You got the number one and two medical journals on the planet Earth that. We think of as medical professionals like the Bible. When we review research, when we read research that's published in these journals, we expect rigorous peer review and a high quality study with as limited bias as possible. So I'm asking myself, how could these how could these two papers? that to my eye in just a short period of time seems so implausible that flew in the face of 65 years of research on hydroxychloroquine, how could this possibly have gotten through the peer review process of the New England Journal of Medicine? Well, I think if we look at what's going on in the country right now, there are political um, ramifications of the lockdown that some people are happy with. We see our government is spending trillions of dollars that we don't have. I believe we spent an extra $4 trillion on top of the $4 trillion we normally spend, a trillion of which we don't have. Uh, we have massive spending. The economy is being damaged. A lot of people feel that hurts the president. And so there's some benefit there. And... Because the Lancet and New England Journal of Medicine published these studies, which, by the way, was served as the predicate for the FDA to ban use, the CDC to recommend against hydroxychloroquine, and the World Health Organization to recommend against it, it also allowed governors to re- re- restrict prescribing hydroxychloroquine, which is still going on today in this country. Not every state is allowing doctors to freely prescribe hydroxychloroquine and when the ceo of google sundar pachai was up on capitol hill and he was questioned as to why big tech censored america's frontline doctors his answer was that we were making statements that were against the world health organization and cdc and where did these statements that the world health organization and cdc come from They came from these two fake studies in the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet that had to be retracted when it was discovered they were using fake data. Now, folks, I'm asking you all to just use your common sense here. If I was to tell you taking a multivitamin would protect you from this mysterious, deadly disease, the SARS-CoV-2, the novel coronavirus, would you say back to me, listen, Scott, I'm going to need another randomized, controlled, double-blind, crossover, prospective study before I take this vitamin, or would you just take the vitamin? That's a rhetorical question, of course. I think most of us would simply take the vitamin, meaning if it helps, great, but it's certainly not going to do do any harm. Well, that is hydroxychloroquine. That medicine is so safe. The billions of people take it as prophylaxis from malaria when they go into zones of the world where malaria is prevalent. Our own President Barack Obama took hydroxychloroquine in 2008 as prophylaxis for something. I don't, I don't know his medical profile, but I don't believe he was sick. I believe it was more likely prophylaxis of something. Maybe it was even prophylaxis for uh, a, a respiratory illness. Who knows? But the point is. Before 2020, hydroxychloroquine was considered so safe that it was given to babies, it was given to nursing mothers, it was given to pregnant people, it was given to old people, it was given to everybody. It literally is one of the safest medications out there. The other thing is, every time we see a study, and it's going on even now at the White House Uh, not with Donald Trump, but with other people working on this coronavirus task force, they keep referring to studies that suggest that hydroxychloroquine is not only ineffective, but dangerous. And all of these studies, when you look at them are using toxic doses of hydroxychloroquine on old, sick people, or at least sick people and no zinc. They're clearly using the medication improperly and they keep doing it over and over and over again. And to people like me, that are just trying to gather useful information so that I can treat and protect my patients and my family and my staff, this is unconscionable. So we've gotten to a point now where we know that our most prestigious and respected medical journals are being co-opted by other forces and you can use your own imagination as to why that would be whether it's monetary gilead stock dropping 21 billion when when president trump suggests hydroxychloroquine could be a treatment or whether it's political um, or or whatever there's clearly something going on here and we can also see this in the numbers so I have always said at the beginning of this pandemic, if we're going to take such draconian steps, meaning we're going to completely shut down the world's economy, we're going to close schools, keep people from working, crush businesses, we're going to be taking these most dramatic steps in the history of our country. Uh, it ought to be for a very good reason. And that reason needs to be mortality, deaths, right? Uh, we never consider doing anything because people get sick from the flu right? Every year people get sick from the flu. I'm sure many of you, probably most of you have gotten sick from the flu. I know I have, I take no precautions other than I wash my hands. I practice normal hygiene. And when I get sick, I stay home and away from people. I rest. And then when I get better, I go back to work. That's what most of you do. Why are we doing something so different for SARS COVID 2 And by the way, The measure of this was mortality in the beginning. That's what we were looking at. And then somehow we began this march towards testing, 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 and it somehow became cases. And so now positive tests have become positive cases. And I'm here to tell you as a physician, just because you test positive for coronavirus, if you're not sick, that's not a case. Now, we have number a number of studies that now show us that the supermajority of people who contract COVID-19 are so minimally symptomatic or asymptomatic that they don't know they have it. On the CDC's own website, even though they told us that it was 3.4% mortality in the beginning, which, by the way, that was ridiculous, they were only counting the very sick people that were in the hospital, and of course the mortality rate was high there. But they had to know, I knew, I think most people knew, there were lots of people out in the community that were sick and not in the hospital that were going to make that mortality rate come down. Why were they so committed to making sure we only focused on the 3.4% mortality rate initially reported by the CDC? In May, the CDC revised those numbers to be point. I'm sorry, 0.26%. That's right. I said 0.26% is what the CDC is stating the mortality rate of COVID-19 is. And that is more akin to a bad flu season. Now, we also know that if you pull the most susceptible people out, the people in their 70s and 80s, that that mortality rate goes down to less than the flu. We have a lot of research out there now on children, the Iceland study, the Ireland study, the uh, Sweden, Brazil, a lot of these other countries that have looked at their children going back to school, done contact tracing and haplotype testing with these viruses, and they've shown zero, zero transmission of the students to teachers or their parents. That's right. Zero transmission from the students to their teachers or their parents. So I often hear people say, well, we can't go back, let the kids go back to school until we know more. It doesn't get any better than that. You don't get any better information than that and any better odds than that. When we look at the CDC's reporting, at least last time I checked, which was a couple of weeks ago, 30 kids have been attributed to have died of COVID. 30. And that you might say, wow, 30. I mean, every life is precious. I believe that as well. But we've had 190 kids die of influenza this year, according to the CDC. So, again, I asked the question, why are we treating COVID-19 so different than we would treat an influenza epidemic? And why are we not letting people understand that the CDC has modified their mortality rate to something more akin to to a bad flu season? Well... We also look at the numbers. There's obviously political narratives here, and the, the, the numbers that we're looking at are so contaminated that they're really difficult to imp- really difficult to interpret and understand. And it's been done in a variety of different ways. First of all, the CDC early on was conflating people who tested positive with the antibody test. With people who tested positive with the PCR test. Now, the PCR test is a test that tests for presence of viral particle. And even if you have a positive test with that, it doesn't mean you're sick from the coronavirus. It just means there are viral particles in your body. The antibody test may mean your body has seen the virus, you fought it off, and now you have antibodies, essentially making you immune, and doesn't mean you're sick at all. But yet, the the CDC. Um, was accidentally combining those numbers it's not my opinion this has already been reported um we had um let me see if i can find it here so we had the director of harvard global health institute i apologize if i'm saying his name wrong ashish ja he said and i quote you've got to be kidding me how could the cdc make this mistake well, I'm asking the same question. How could you possibly make this mistake that we're make, taking the most draconian measures in history and they're conflating these numbers to make the cases appear increased? Uh, when we look at the progression of this disease in July, the media was, was stating that because red states were opening up, And blue states were locking down with masks. They were trying to create a narrative that because the red states were opening up, we were seeing an exponential increase in in cases and deaths in red states like Arizona, Texas, Florida and Georgia, whereas places like New York and New Jersey, which have the most deaths were leveling off. And the the narrative they were trying to spin that it was because the implementation of mass and lockdown. Well, John Solomon exposed that what they were doing and others, by the way, have exposed and it's easy to look if you look at the data yourself that what they were doing was they took deaths of patients who supposedly died of coronavirus in April and added them to dates in July to make it appear as if there was a spike. Now, when they were confronted about that, uh, government officials in these states, you know, they said, oh, it's an error, it's a mistake, we'll correct it. But by this time, the New York Times, CNN, Washington Post and MSNBC had already reported that these spikes in deaths occurred around the cases. When you when if you subtracted out the people who actually died in April, the deaths were less than what was happening in June. So, again, it's another mistake we saw down in Florida where they these labs were reporting only positive cases to make it look like they were having a hundred percent positivity rate, when in fact the positive the positivity rates were less than five and ten percent, and and even lower in others because they were refusing to report negative re- results. And when confronted, the government officials again said, "Well, it's a mistake. We're sorry." These mistakes are happening over and over again, and we're going to talk more about them when we come back from break. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber in the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio.
1: Thank you.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Scott Barber. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio, and we've been talking about the circumstances surrounding the COVID-19 outbreak and specifically hydroxychloroquine. We're talking about the fact that fake data was used in the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet to publish fake stories suggesting that hydroxychloroquine was not only ineffective at treating COVID-19, but that it was dangerous. We now know those studies had to be retracted because the data was false and fake and phony. Uh, It's hard for me to believe that these were honest errors by the Lancet and New England Journal of Medicine, and I will forever look at those journals with a with a slanted eye. Um, We also know that there are a number of mistakes made during this entire pandemic affecting the numbers. Uh, The first sleight of hand was somehow we transitioned from looking at mortality, which is the really only important statistic here when turning, when discussing the most draconian shutdown in the world history And what I mean is, I have to preface this by saying, I know every life is precious. I'm a doctor. Don't, Don't think I don't know that. But I also know that being a doctor and making medical decisions is not about right and wrong. It's about risk assessment. There's no right or wrong answer when you do something. When I see a patient, I'm trying to talk about doing surgery or not. It's not about right or wrong. It's risk assessment, meaning if we don't do the surgery, there are certain consequences and risks. And if we do do the surgery, there are a different set of consequences and risks. And we have to take those. Uh, into our consideration, make a judgment, and to decide which way to go. Well, we're doing the same thing here with COVID-19. We have a deadly virus. We're taking significantly draconian action in terms of shutting down the economy, schools, and all the rest. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. And why are we doing this? For a virus that the CDC reports has a mortality rate more akin to a bad flu season, Um, I believe it's much lower because they are purposely keeping people out of the calculation that would drive the number down lower. We already know a supermajority of people who are infected with COVID-19 are either asymptomatic or so minimally symptomatic that they don't know they have it. So those people are walking around in the population. And when, if we were to consider them, that would decrease the mortality. We now have excellent data showing that our kids are very, very safe that There's no demonstration that they're super spreaders, and we have enough available data to, to send our kids back to school. In fact, NBC News uh, in, I believe it was June, or maybe it was early July, had five pediatricians on. And they were all asked if they would send their kids back to school, and they all said absolutely without hesitation, with no restriction, no mask or anything, they would be willing to send their kids back to school. So we have scientific data, we have expert analysis, all suggesting we go back to school, and yet we're not. And I'm here to tell you that they are also manipulating the data, and I have seen this with my own eyes, and there's a number of ways they're doing it. First of all, the CDC already admitted that they were conflating patients who were being tested with the antibody test with patients with the PCR test. Now, people with the antibody test may be immune to the virus, and they're counting that as a positive case. We saw a... Um, a town hall meeting in texas i forget the name of the county um, bexar county b-e-x-a-r bexar county city council meeting where they were employing contact tracers to find patients who tested positive and by the way we're already i'm telling you testing positive does not mean you're sick and then these contact tracers admitted that they were counting people who came in contact with people who tested positive without even being tested this is on tape This is on video. This video went viral. We also have reports from uh, Connecticut where they were using tests that had false positive rates. They were in one particular nursing home. They tested, um, I want to say it was 144 patients, 90, 90, more than half were false positives. And they talked about the fact that these same tests were being used in multiple states. I was asked to do an interview on Fox Business, where they wanted me to talk about masks. And so I came on and I shared my opinions and my experience about masks, which by the way, I know doctors sharing opinions now is worthy of cancel culture and death threats and all that, even if I'm just reporting the data. I mean, I'm not the one carrying out these studies on masks, I'm just reviewing it. They had a person from harvard come on behind me and he made the assertion everybody knows masks work nobody debates that which by the way that's a lie uh, that is not what the data shows and that is not what experts think experts do not all agree that masks are effective in fact before 2020 the vast consensus was that masks were ineffective at the transmission of influenza like viruses, but yet he made this assertion. And then what did he use as evidence to back up his claim? These death spikes in Florida, Texas, Arizona, based on the fudging of the data where they took patients who died in April and added them to the logs of people who died in July to make it appear as if there was a spike in July when they were confronted, the government, uh, and officials at these places, oh, it was another glitch, it was another accident. You notice these glitches and these accidents always are in the direction of making it more hysterical, more dangerous, more deadly. They never make a mistake that would calm us down or to help us understand that that this thing is not as bad as they're making it out to. And then the other thing is it says on the box that when you're testing for... COVID 19, that you may test positive for the coronavirus that causes the common cold? I mean, come on, man. This is beyond the pale. We just talked about the fact that coronaviruses make up a, a, a certain percentage of, of what we call flu season every year. Now you're telling me it says on the box of the test that when testing, you might be, when you test positive, It might be COVID-19, but it also might just be the coronavirus that causes the common cold. I mean, you put all of this stuff together, and it just gets hard to believe any of this stuff. Folks, we're being lied to constantly, and we're being censored in a fascistic way. Listen, you had a bunch of doctors that were all very good doctors that were doing good work did nothing wrong following the law following the science doing the best by their patients we go to dc to have a summit to talk about the information that's out there and big tech immediately censored us we had i want to say 18 million live viewers on facebook that were watching our opinion and they banned it and when confronted as to why they banned us they cited the World Health Organization and CDC recommendations that they said we were going against and thus we were dangerous. But what they left out was those CDC and World Health Organization recommendations came off of two fake studies published in the Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine. Now, here's another thing that you need to understand. Testing for coronavirus, when we know that they're basically testing for we don't know what they're doing i mean who's regulating these tests and i don't know anymore i can't tell but we already know they've been caught using tests that test for the coronavirus that causes the common cold they've used tests that test for the antibody test which may mean you're immune and you're not even sick Uh, they test with a pcr test that's testing for what is it testing for COVID 19 who's who's checking that out or is the pcr test testing for the regular coronavirus and they're taking these numbers and they're calling them cases so i happen to know for a fact oh let's not also forget the fact that uh, there was uh, investigative reporting done in florida where it was reported to the medical examiner 581 coronavirus deaths. An investigative reporter went down to the medical examiner, got those 581 cases, and some of those cases were a motorcycle accident, a gunshot wound to the head, a 90-year-old who died of complications of a hip fracture, all being listed as COVID deaths. In fact, when they went through the entire list of 181 I'm sorry, 581 patients, only 169 of them were listed as only COVID. This is just ridiculous at this point. They constantly are manipulating these numbers and always for political ends. And then the corruption of all corruption. You can review the data and tell me that you don't believe that hydroxychloroquine is effective at COVID-19. That is not a completely irrational point of view. I think it's wrong. I think the data is overwhelming that it is effective given early and with zinc. But you cannot suggest to me that hydroxychloroquine is a dangerous medication. That is not rational thought. That is not normal thought. And this gross attack on anybody wanting to talk about this 65-year-old FDA-approved medication that's one of the safest drug profiles around should alarm everybody. Now you can find the DC summit doctors. We did a, a round table with Charlie Kirk and he has that entire roundtable session on his website, uh, Charlie Kirk. He's at Charlie Kirk on uh, Twitter. Uh, all of the information that we talked about is there. Uh, we continue to try and post our, our information. So look for us on social media. I want you guys to know that I care about my patients, as do all of these doctors. We are never gonna stop fighting for the truth. We're never gonna stop fighting for you people so that we can get through this thing. There's a lot of good news out there, folks. Hydroxychloroquine and low-dose zinc has been shown to be effective in several studies that are worth reviewing. It's a safe medication. You can find me at at Dr. Scott underscore Atlanta uh, on Twitter. Uh I just want you to know I'm praying for everybody that I'm going to continue working on this, as are all the doctors that went up to the D.C. summit. I need everybody to stand together. Let's not silence debate. I'll talk to you guys next time on The Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to America's Web Radio, and I'm Dr. Scott Barber. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.